From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good morning, Derek. Good morning. Great to be here. Absolutely. And we're on camera today. We are. This it's is the first time we're doing a live That's stream. Right. I love it. Yeah, we're you, just... look, you look much better on camera than me, but no. Yes. Stop. Yes. Stop. You look like Johnny Cash today and you're all black. All right. Before we begin the show, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. All right, let's jump right into today's show. But before we begin, we have to talk about the last show that yes. we did. So on the last show, we had the honor of broadcasting live at the Hamilton Mill Country Club. That was our, well, that wasn't our first remote. No, we did it's a remote during COVID. Home. Correct, uh, we had home. to. Yes, because yes. I was very <laughs> sick. I will never forget that show. I was trying not to cough uh, <laughs> right. as, as uh, we were taping and holding a phone and also uh -huh. trying not to breathe on you. Uh, that was an interesting show. Yes, so, it yes. Was. Um, but anyway, it was exciting and it was fun to be a, a part of. It was called Putting on the Pink. That was a fundraiser for breast cancer awareness. Mm -hmm. And so we took our show, your show, Injury Insider, last on the week road. on the road. All right. So we were at a golf course, which got me thinking you have at this point 30 something shows, 35 shows, 36 shows. You've had 30, over 10 million downloads. So a lot of people are listening and following the Injury Insider. We talk a lot about your career. They know a little bit about us as a couple, but we've never actually talked about your hobbies, which made me think about golf. Right. Because yes. we just did a remote at a golf course. Yes. So. Tell everyone listening, what do you do to relax? What do you do for fun? I love to play golf. If I had a choice, I would play golf a lot more often than I get to. But unfortunately, with the demands of work and home and those kind of things, I don't get to play as, as much as I would like to. But I absolutely enjoy the time on the golf course. Uh, I think really the, the, the thing that we do the most together is travel, though. We love to go out of town. We, we love do. to go see new places, enjoy time away from home and the the hustle and bustle and the busy lifestyle we lead it's nice to get away but the golf course is also one of my favorites if you were going to stay close to home it's the golf course oh correct? yeah 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 because well, we don't actually play golf I when never we played, travel right i never played golf till i went to college it was one of those games that i just didn't play as a kid i grew up in small town alabama and in the panhandle of florida and in florida you're surfing and you're at the beach you're not on a golf course at least as a kid so when I went to college, I went to the University of Alabama, I actually played golf for 
the first time I hit a hole in one after I'd started playing for about four months. Okay, but what and I, I was w- hooked. Right. But I think the reason you transitioned so easily into golf, correct me if I'm wrong, because before you went to Bama, you played college baseball. Yes. For Ju- a couple Juco, so, right. Juco. So you played baseball in Panama City two years. Yes. So my point is you were a very skilled baseball player. Which I think would make the transition to golf a little easier than someone like me who's never swung anything, a club, a bat, a racket. I, I don't have that. I'd like to think that, but it is a little bit different swing. Yes, I do but know that. Yes, the mechanics. Yes. The well, power, was, the swing, yeah, it, it the was, eye contact, sure, all of it. Sure. It was one of those things that I'd always wanted to learn to do, but just never had. And so I was, as I said, I was hooked as soon as I started playing. Well, maybe we should go to a different golf course with this show. Let's try Let's, different courses. Exactly. That would be so fun. Right. I, well, I'm 100% in agreement with that. All right. And, we're going to have to work on our production team. But we also need to take Status Life with Lita on the road. And that's the time to, to talk about your podcast. As good as mine has done, yours has actually been better than mine. Uh, as far as downloads and followers, yeah. you're, you're blown be. away. So Status Life with Lita. <laughs> I'm going to put in a big plug for oh, you. Oh, he's giving me a plug. Thank you. Yes, I have a podcast. Derek is the host of mine. Yes. So a little bit of background, but we do have to jump into the show because we have a lot to cover. We were asked to do to podcast, uh, and we could not figure out how to, as a couple, and the connection we have and the banter and what makes us really good on air, how do we bring that to one show yeah, the and law because, and interior right, design don't our careers well. do not match um i own multiple retail stores and an interior design firm right and derek is an attorney so as great as we may be our careers are very very separate so what we decided to do was two shows and it's been extremely successful yes. both of them yes. so derek is the host of mine i am here as your host of the injury insider i do not have a law education i speak for everyone listening who is interested who has questions and I get to play host. And you ask all the right questions. All the right questions. Always. <laughs> so, but I said, and you didn't pick up on it, but when you said uh, your podcast, Status Life with Lita, is doing better with yours, I said it better be. Because one thing <laughs> yes. about us, Derek and I are extremely competitive yes. with each other. Very extremely much so. competitive. So much so that you won't play me in a lot of games. Nothing. Oh. And here's the re- here's the deal. So on Sunday, we're at my daughter's birthday party. What was the game? I Tetherball. Said, oh, let's play tetherball. We're at a big farm. It was amazing. We were walking around, seeing all the events. And I thought, okay, I'm going to try. This will be fun. We're outdoors. It was a beautiful afternoon. Let's play tetherball. And within about 30 seconds, he wins. And I go stomping away. It's just like, come on. Take the moment. I was teaching. It was not teaching. He cannot. He cannot. When you're on a date, I said, this is what would happen. (laughs) If this was our first date and he took me somewhere. Oh, I would have thrown the game right away. Well, throw it now. It hurts feelings. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. I I was teaching. I was trying to make sure you understood. But then once we. He was not teaching people. He was not teaching. Okay. Okay. Anyways, we cannot play games together we cannot play Yahtzee we cannot play words with friends we cannot play Scrabble we can not play cards if I play games with the kids Derek has to sit out because (laughs) it's very true she's not she's not making this up no no as great as we are um there is a competition level there that just burns my soul so anyway all right we got to jump into the show a little bit about us uh but anyway from the golf course putting on the green thanks for having us last week we absolutely love uh being there, being a part of the event, and anything that we can do to support any charity. I know you and I would jump in. It was fun. Jump in both feet. 
All right. Your last show was called Don't Make This Mistake. You talked about a client that came to you after he had filed suit in magistrate court and had gone through the bench trial. You explained several mistakes he had made by trying to handle his case on his own, always wrong, wrong, and what it took to fix those mistakes. If you missed that show, please go back and download it. They're always fantastic, but I love the stories. I love the cases. I want to hear, you know, <laughs> A, how you helped him, but B, you know, how this process works. It, it really is fascinating. And we dive deep into that. So yes, go back and listen to that show and, and you'll see what we were talking about. What are we going to talk about today? Well, today I want to talk about something that uh, you've probably heard about. It's called Alternative Dispute Resolution. It's also referred to as ADR. Um, have you ever heard ADR or Alternative Dispute Resolution? I have not. As a layperson? No. As, as attorneys, of course, it's a phrase that we hear and talk about all the time. Um, so I, I actually wanted to make sure I, I wrote this out to read it verbatim. Alternative Dispute Resolution is defined as... A process other than judicial determination, which means a jury, uh, in which an impartial person assists those in a dispute to resolve the issues between them. So in other words, it's a time for a, a mediator, uh, an, a third party who's impartial, to help two different sides, a plaintiff and defendant, to come together to try and resolve a dispute. The main types of ADR, alternative dispute resolution, are called mediation and arbitration. There are other ways to do it, but mediation and arbitration are the two main ones. I so, think most everyone has heard of those. Yeah, mediation and arbitration sure. are common terms. So we're going to talk about mediation today. In the next episode, I want to dive deep into uh, the other option, which is arbitration. Um, in fact, most people don't realize that they are truly two different things. Sometimes they think mediation and arbitration are the exact same thing. And when I talk to clients going into a mediation, I have to explain the difference. So that's why I thought about doing a show today about ADR. Uh, in fact, I was in mediation just this last week, and my client asked a lot of the questions that I'm going to cover today. Okay, well, good. I've heard both of those terms before. I actually took a codes and law class in school uh, when I went back for my architectural certification. And, of course, you know, to do that, you have to take codes and law. So I do know that they are very, very different. Yes. So I'm glad you're going to explain all this. I know you go through every little part of the law and the cases. Um, that's what we're here, right? As yes. the injury insider. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. All right. So we're going to focus today on mediation. I'm going to just okay. hand it over to you. Jump right in. All right. I gave the definition of ADR. Let's talk about mediation. It's, mediation is an ADR process, and I'm reading the, the definition verbatim, wherein a neutral, completely impartial third party known as a mediator facilitates a discussion between the parties, which would be a plaintiff and a, law, and a defendant, in a lawsuit to promote the voluntary resolution of disputes before trial it's structured interactive uh, it's a process that uses specialized communication and negotiation techniques um, all participants in a mediation are encouraged to actively uh, participate in the process uh, to, to kind of sum up a little bit of that in a, in a mediation collectively the two sides pick who their mediator is going to be We'll get a list of names. Uh, there are several mediation companies. There are uh, two main ones here really in, in Metro Atlanta, which is where we're located. Uh, we'll discuss the mediators that are there, uh, our experience with different mediators, and the defense attorney and I will, will uh, eventually determine who we think is best suited to hear our case. Some mediators have done nursing home negligence cases. They've done medical malpractice. They've done real estate disputes. They've done personal injury claims. So you try and find someone who has experience in the area that your case may be related to. I didn't realize that. 
that even the mediator can be a little more specialized. Sure, absolutely. So would you have specific mediators? I mean, divorce is a whole other... Oh, divorce is another animal. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there are criminal. Mediators. I mean, well, and, I don't and, know if you would mediate a criminal case. No, no, no. But in, in a personal injury case, most mediators that do those kind of claims, they've either been plaintiff's attorneys or defense attorneys or judges in state court or superior court. Uh, so it's someone who has experience on one side or the other or both or even potentially all three. They were a defense attorney, a plaintiff's attorney, then became a judge. And so they bring to the table that experience and that knowledge and that training to kind of sift through some of the, the red herrings is what we call them, those facts that are potentially confusing to a jury or things that um, will take you down a side path. They'll stay focused on the main issues of the claim and help to come to a resolution as that impartial third party. And on a side note, so as I was saying, we all, the plaintiff's attorney and the defense attorney, come to uh, a decision as to who our mediator is going to be. In an arbitration, for example, an arbitration, one of the different ways you can do it, uh, I would pick an arbitrator, the defense attorney would pick an arbitrator, and then those two arbitrators would come together to pick a third arbitrator. So I've picked one arbitrator, they've picked the other arbitrator, and those two arbitrators pick a third arbitrator. So then we can say, okay, we're going to have all three arbitrators collectively determine the outcome of this case. Or those two arbitrators, the one that I picked, the one the defense attorney picked, have now picked a third one. We're going to scrap mine and scrap theirs and just go with that one arbitrator hmm. who was picked by the other two which would then, you would hope, be a completely impartial arbitrator. Right. Um, and again, we'll, we'll talk more. I don't want to go down that path yet, but we'll talk more about arbitration next week. That's but really interesting. That's one of the differences between arbitration and mediation. Okay. Mediation, we determine who our mediator is going to be, and it's usually just one. Arbitration could be three. It could be more, potentially, depending on the case, uh, or it could be one. So do you ever have a situation where you're a plaintiff's attorney, the defense attorney says no to a specific mediator that you've set yeah, yeah, up? Yes, yes. If they feel as though it's someone who they've been in front of before and was a little more plaintiff friendly uh, than they should have been or they thought they ought to be, well, then they could say, no, I don't, I don't like John Doe. He's, he's not a defense friendly mediator. Uh, or if it's someone they had past experience with. Uh, as an example, there, there are many mediators. The mediation I had last week, uh, the, the mediator we had, I've known for many, many years, and he was on the defense side. And we had cases against each other years ago. We were always cordial. We were professional-like. We understood you know, we both have a job to do. And through the years, we've maintained a, a friendship. And so I am completely comfortable with him mediating my cases because I know his ability to truly be impartial. If I had had a very bad prior experience with him, if we had uh, tried cases together or I felt that he uh, didn't ethically handle his side of the case as he should, or if we had butted heads before on issues, well, then no, I'm not going to want to use them. Yeah, that makes sense. Does every case go through mediation? No, um, not every case does. Uh, there are a few different ways that you can wind up in mediation, a few main ways you can wind up in mediation. Some counties here in Georgia, and it's true in other states, but here in Georgia where we're located, have what we call a mandatory mediation program, where if you file suit in state or superior court, you're automatically ordered to go to mediation. Before you can darken the door of the courthouse to try a case, you're required to go through the mediation process. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's a court's way of trying to minimize the, the number of cases on the calendar. If they can clean some cases off by sending them out to mediation, then they'll do it. So some counties here, as I said, it, it's required. If you file suit, you are going to go to mediation. That's one way. 
Another way is uh, a judge can order mediation, which the one I had last week was just that. Because of COVID, there are likely going to be a lot of cases uh, in counties that are not mandatory mediation cases, uh, counties where the cases will be ordered to mediation, where the judge thinks that uh, it's a way of them cleaning out their calendar a little bit by making certain cases go to mediation, things that seem to be relatively straightforward, easier cases to resolve. Uh, they can order it, and, and you're required to go. And then the third way would be the parties agree mutually to go to mediation. As a plaintiff's attorney, I reach out to the defense attorney. We're not ordered to mediation. Uh, we're not in a mandatory mediation county. And I say, you know, we're ready for trial. It may be another X number of months before we go to trial. Are you willing to mediate? Let's see if we can go ahead and get this thing done. And if the, the defense attorney reaches out to the insurance company that they represent or the, the adjuster, and they say, yeah, sure, let's do it. Well, then we've mutually agreed to mediate the case. Um, and so that's a way of trying to get it done. I, I, um, I many times use the word control, that it's a way of the court controlling the calendar by, by getting these cases sent out to mediation. And as I said, kind of cleaning up some of the, um, you know, the backlog. There's going to be a tremendous backlog of cases coming out of COVID. Two personal questions sure. about mediation. The first one, do you prefer it? Um, it depends on the case. That's not an absolute answer okay. one way or the other. If it's a case that I feel is beneficial for mediation, then absolutely. I'll encourage my client to do it. Uh, if it's a case where I think the issues need to be presented to a, a jury uh, and my client truly is dead set on having their day in court, you know, we always hear about the day in court, right. well, then mediation is not a good option. Um, if I feel as though there's a time where there's some convoluted issues that may or may not be straightened out in mediation, well, then that, you know, those kind of things play into the decision. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't say every case is suited for mediation. Sure. Well, that not. makes sense because every case is different. I just mm -hmm. wondered as a preference, if you say, I like to go to mediation because I like to try to work it out um, before we get to court. But I will say that I do like mediation. I think mediation can be very beneficial um, in, in the sense that you can learn a lot about the other side. You can have your client understand that you know, when you see your own case, I've, I've told client this, clients this for years, the most important case in the entire country right now is your case, period. It's the most important case that's ever existed in the history of our court system because it's your case. You and only you see that case through that light. I see it just like you do as your attorney. I'm a zealous advocate Throw that <laughs> phrase out there Always. for you. And so my job is to see it just like you do. However, sometimes you get blinded by that. And there may be some negative facts that I don't want to say they're not willing to see, but they're not able to understand completely how negative those facts, negatively those facts can impact the outcome of their claim. In a mediation setting, a mediator as an impartial third party can be a little more blunt about that and say, yeah, these are problems and here's why. And it's a chance for them to see, again, uh, a little bit more about their case that they may not truly understand, as opposed to that blindsided gut punch in a courtroom when you're sitting on a witness stand and something comes out that you may or may not expect. Well, the second personal question was, how many have you done in 25 years? I cannot tell you how many I've done. I, I haven't counted, but I will say this a lot, an awful lot. Uh, some of the counties here in, in Metro Atlanta are mandatory mediation counties, and I've filed lots and lots and lots of lawsuits in 25 years, so uh, if for no other reason because of that. But I've also had a lot of voluntary uh, mutual agreement mediations. I've had several mediations that were court-ordered. Um, so there have been quite a few. Um, 
it, it's one of those things that when I do get a, uh, an order from a judge sending me to mediation, some attorneys fret and frown and are disgusted by it or not really want to do it. But it doesn't bother me at all. I, I look forward to it. I think it's a good chance to, if at all possible, get a case settled and resolved. Not to compromise the value of the claim. Let me make that clear. I don't go to mediation expecting to take less money. It's a matter of going to mediation to, again, zealously advocate advocate for my client to maximize their recovery. And sometimes in mediation, quite frankly, you walk away with a lot more money than you likely would in front of a jury. Wow. All right. Take us through the process of mediation. All right. Pretend I'm the client and you're going to prepare me for my case. Go. Well, I just did this last <laughs> week. The mediation was on Friday. And so I, I met with my clients a couple of times to get ready for that. So if you're coming in and we're sitting down, the first thing I'm going to tell you is to have an open mind. Because, again, I kind of mentioned it before, the, the most difficult person in, in understanding the other side is the actual plaintiff, because to them it's personal, it's very personal. But they have to maintain an open mind and hear what the other side has to say. I also tell them, through it too, that anything that's said in mediation, other than the actual negotiations themselves, can be eventually used at trial, if necessary. So... I make sure that they understand when we're together with the defense attorney, with the mediator, and with potentially the adjuster from the insurance company, it's not a time to talk and blurt out things that you are um, you know, angry about or upset about. It's time to, to listen and, and let the mediator kind of do their job. So is it my understanding, and you may be getting to this, that when you mediate, you're in a room with your clients? Yes. And, and, and the defense is in another room? Well, Correct. no, 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 and I'll get to that. I'm, I'm okay. heading down that path, okay. Let but me I'm kind of laying the foundation for what I tell the client before okay. I talk about the actual process. What I was thinking was, in as the client, if I have to say something to you, what you just said, it could potentially all end up in court. Sure. It could Absolutely. all be admissible. So if, if I feel like we're in a private room and the mediator's there and I say something, that could eventually... That's the point is what I mean. Right, well, let me jump ahead then. I'll jump ahead to that point. So in the mediation itself, the way the process works, I'll come back to some of the pointers about mediation. So when you start, you start in a room together. It's the defense attorney, usually the, the adjuster, the defendant, the person that actually caused, let's say, for example, a car wreck. They're not there. There's no reason for them to be there. In the, all the mediations I've done, and I've done an awful lot, I've never once had a defendant physically there. Uh, because, quite frankly, the insurance adjuster doesn't care what the defendant has to say, nor does the defense attorney. They don't want them there because they're afraid they're going to be a roadblock in the process. So on one side of the table, it's the adjuster and the defense attorney. At the end of the table is the mediator. On the opposite side of the table would be me and my client. And the mediator will come in and explain the mediation process, not for me, not for the adjuster, not for the defense attorney, but really for my clients. It's a lot of stuff I've already talked to them about. And the mediator will say that this is my job, this is why we're here. And once they've laid the ground rules and explained things, then the mediator will look to me as the plaintiff and say, well, Mr. Hayes, let's hear, uh, let's hear a little bit about the case. And most of the time, this is the first time that mediator's heard a single word about what happened. And I'll start with the basics. We're here today about a car wreck that occurred on this day at this time. It occurred at this location. I'll talk about how the wreck occurred. I'll talk about even things like what the weather was like, if weather was a factor. 
I'll talk about the tickets that were issued, the damage to the vehicles. I'll talk about the injuries my clients sustained, the treatment they had if they missed time from work. It's not the typical opening statement. That was my question. Right. I was thinking, because we covered that before. Yes. So it's it's an overview of the case, but right. it's and not a true opening statement. No, no, no. no. In, in, in fact, it's very relaxed. I'm sitting in the chair. I'm not standing up in a courtroom. I'm literally sitting within arm's reach of the mediator just talking. And I'll, I'll give the summary of facts, and basically that's all it is. Whereas a, an opening statement in a courtroom, it's very dramatic. Uh, there are things that you'll do to uh, impress upon the jury, hopefully, very favorable image of your client and what happened to them. And the mediator, they're not there for theatrics. Right. They're here for facts. Tell me what happened. And, and a lot of the bluster is left out. Uh, the puffery, whatever you want to call it. It's just, this is a car wreck. This is when it happened. This is where it happened. Again, this is someone with experience, mm -hmm. the mediator. So they don't care about all those confusing facts, those red hearings. And once I've laid out the very core facts of the claim, I'll then give them a little background. This case is pending now in Gwinnett County State Court. It's in front of Judge so-and-so. Uh, it was filed on this day. We don't have any uh, hearings pending. Uh, these depositions still have to be taken. These have been taken. Discovery's complete. Uh, and then I'll give a pro uh, background of the negotiations. Uh, the negotiations had gone this far. The most recent demand made by us was X number of dollars. The most recent uh, offer made by the defense was X number of dollars. And we're here today hoping to get this case resolved. Uh, and then we'll talk about whose turn it is in negotiations, because in negotiations, you never bid against yourself. If it's my move and I made the last demand in a case, well, I'm expecting in the mediation that the other side will make the next move on their side. The defense will come back with the next offer. So once we've done the the opening statement or the, the comments as the plaintiff's attorney, the mediator will then look to the, the defense attorney and say, Are there anything, is there anything you want to say? And most defense attorneys aren't going to really say anything because I've summarized the facts for everybody. They may say, well, we're here today hoping to get this thing resolved. They'll look at my client and say, we're sorry about what happened. We hope that we can get this resolved today. Please understand this is not personal. You may hear some things today you're not comfortable with, but we do see things differently than you. And so hopefully today we can get this thing resolved. The adjuster rarely ever says anything. Once those opening comments are done, well, then we divide into different rooms. The plaintiff will stay in a room with me. The defense attorney and the adjuster will go to a completely different room, usually a good ways away from where we're sitting, um, down the hallway. And then the mediator will start with us or start with the other side, depending on whose move it is. And the mediator will come in and say, all right, I've heard all the facts. I've heard what's going on with the negotiations. Uh, tell me what I need to know that we didn't talk about when everybody was together. And if there's some bad facts or some concerns that I have as a plaintiff's attorney, I will say, well, you know, this is the concern we have about the case that we didn't talk about with everybody here. And I'll bring some of those up. And the mediator will spend the day going back and forth between the rooms, coming back with new numbers to us, taking new numbers back to the other side. We will tell the mediator specifically what they're allowed to share with the other side and what they're not allowed to share. If I tell the mediator something in confidence, well, it stays in confidence. They're not going to go down the hallway and say, well, Derek told me about this if I've said don't share that. The mediator is there to lean on the adjuster. You know, you're not seeing this as clearly as you should. Your concern should be a jury's going to look at your defendant and think this or think that. Or you know, I, I'm familiar with what Derek's done in the past in court. I've been up against him. This is what I think the outcome's going to be. I know what he's going to do. And I would strongly encourage you to think about these things and evaluate in the case. So the mediator's job is to try and, and have a meeting of the minds to work towards getting it resolved. 
Okay, that paints an excellent picture. I feel like that was a great description. I'm glad we went forward with that because what I had asked was prep me for the case and I kind of took you going a different direction. Uh, but now I have a very clear understanding of how the process works. So what did we bypass? Like what would you say about mediation? How long is it? Um, is it stressful? Is it relaxed? I mean, I know it's part of a court case, but do, on a personal note, do most of your clients come in very nervous or because it's more of a relaxed setting, do, is, does it have that sort of feeling to it? Well, of all the people in the room, the, the client's always the one that's nervous. I've been there, done that, again, hundreds of times, and so has the media, more so than me, and the defense attorney and even the adjuster. So the one party that's not familiar with the process is my client, typically. A mediation, to answer one question you ask, can take a few hours. It can take all day. It can take a few days. I think the longest one I ever had was a few days. Um, you never know how long it's going to have to take to, to eventually get to the point where you can get it resolved. Uh, one of the things, too, that, that we try and do is not play all the cards at mediation. There may be certain factors that I want to save for later on. And if I feel that I don't need to disclose all of the, the positive facts from my side or, or something that I can hold back on but still try and get the case resolved, I will. And if we go forward on to trial, in mediation, you the, another point, too, and kind of got sidetracked a little bit, in mediation, you don't have to leave there with the case settled. If you don't come to an agreement, you leave. You're done. If they've stopped at X number of dollars and you've stopped at X number of dollars and there's a gap, whether it's $5 or $5 million, you can walk out the door in a mediation without getting it resolved. Arbitration's different, and again, we'll talk about that next week or ne next podcast. Um, so it's not something that you go in that day and know full well you're going to leave with a settlement. Okay. Since we're using this as my case, I was in a car wreck. I personally would feel very deflated if we left mediation and there was more to this. Like, there's more. Now we have to go to court. Like, so walk us through that. So it does. it's not successful. There's not a meeting of the minds. Everybody's leaving. What do you say to your clients? Well, I say to them, there's a lot we've learned today. And I can say that from tons of experience. Not every case I've taken to mediation has settled. Um, interestingly, though, there are times where you may leave the mediation that day, and within a week or so, the other side calls and says, well, we've looked into what you talked about, whether it was a medical procedure they had or something that was in question about their prior medical history, some fact that they were uh, balking at that that created an impasse and you weren't get it, able to get it resolved. Well, it may be that a few weeks later they come back and say, okay, we've looked at this a little more and we're seeing it now a little differently. So we're going to bump our offer up from X number of dollars to X number of dollars. Okay. So just because it's not settled in mediation doesn't necessarily mean it's going to trial. Correct. It just means Correct. it's still going. And it may be that, that there was a, um, uh, you know, a prior history issue with, with somebody's medical um, condition. Let's say, for example, somebody had a, a back surgery 10 years before their car wreck and some concerns come up with that, and we go and, and iron those out, whether we take a doctor's depot and uh, you know, get it resolved that way or, or some other you know, tactic to try and, and address what the concerns may be. But just because we've walked out that door does not mean that it's a non-successful day. There's always some success to a mediation, whether it's a settlement or learning a lot more about the case that now we can move forward with a little bit more targeted um, approach. And I would think the same would go for the other side. If no, they've absolutely. learned a lot more about your client and yeah. their medical and, issues. And I'll say this too. Mediation is not a confrontational process. 
it's not. I've done many. And now I can't say it's not always because I'm sure there are times when mediation can get pretty hostile between, you know, a couple of sides about certain things. But in all the years I've done it, I've never once had one that was confrontational. It's very relaxed, a laid back approach. And, and when I talk to clients, I use the word control earlier. In a mediation, to some extent, you're controlling the outcome where you can or cannot decide to take that final dollar amount offered by the other side. If you do, well, then you've controlled the outcome. If you don't, you may still have control of the outcome later on. But if you go to a jury, no matter what, you don't control that outcome. Those 12 strangers that don't know you, don't know me, don't know the defendant or defense attorney, they control what your outcome is going to be. You may like it, you may hate it, but that's going to be your outcome. In mediation, you potentially can control what that outcome is if you choose to take whatever that final number is. I think I would prefer mediation, but just because the relax, the control, uh, I don't know. I think if I ever had to go to trial, it would be extremely nerve-wracking. All right, I'm going to jump ahead. Are there some tricks of the trade in negotiating a mediation? Yes, I will say this. Any offers and demands in mediations that come out uh, from either side are never admissible in the eventual trial. So I could never go to an eventual jury and say, oh, by the way, in mediation, they offered X number of dollars. So don't ever give us anything less than that. Likewise, they can't say, well, in mediation, they demanded X number of dollars. So don't give anything more than that. Um, so and also too, the mediator can never be called to testify at the eventual trial about things that were discussed in the mediation, because that would defeat the process, the purpose of the process to, to keep them impartial and out of the, the, uh, you know, the procedure as it goes forward. So, yes, tricks of the trade. One of the things we do is called bracketing. Bracketing would be if you've got a significant difference between the numbers. Let's say, for example, uh, we've got a million-dollar demand on the table, and they've got a uh, $200,000 offer. Well, that's a significant gap, $800,000. And it may take six or eight hours to close that gap, or it may take two or three days to close that gap. In bracketing, the approach would be we're going to come down to, say, $750,000, if you come up to 500,000 and suddenly you've bracketed those numbers a lot quicker from a million and 200,000 to 750, 500,000, it's a way of closing that, that significant difference between the two sides. Uh, bracketing is not, not, not always used, uh, but it is one of those things that, um, again, it's a tactic that a, a mediator can suggest. And as an attorney going through it, we can also talk about doing if necessary. Another one is a high-low agreement. Have you ever heard that phrase? I have not. So in a mediation, uh, at the end of the mediation, if we don't get it resolved, if we never come to a dollar amount that both sides agree upon and we don't get it settled, we can say, all right, we're going to go to trial, but we're going to make a high-low agreement. A high-low agreement would be, uh, on the high end, I would say $500,000. And I'm just, again, picking a number for the purpose of facts. And they may say on the low end, $100,000. And we sign a document that says a high-low agreement, $500,000 on the plaintiff side, $100,000 on the defense side. So what that means is if we go all the way to trial and it turns out to be a $5 million verdict, I've signed a high agreement that means the most I'm going to get is Mm, $500,000, which my client would not be very happy with. No. On the other hand, if there is a low agreement of $100,000 and it's a defense verdict, where the defense, whether the jury says we, the jury, find in favor of the defendant. Well, at that point, we're not going to get a zero. We're going to get a hundred thousand. So that would be an example of where a high low would be very favorable to my client. So you have to be able to know your facts. You have right. to be able to know 
why a high is very good potentially for your client, but also, too, why the low may be very good as well. And you have to make those numbers work for the facts in your claim. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, negotiations can continue after the mediation. Uh, it's kind of a tactic, too, if, if there's a stalemate about a certain uh, medical procedure, a bill, or what we call a collateral source, health insurance, TRICARE, Medicaid, Medicare, that needs to be investigated. Well, we can do that and then come back to the table a few days or a few weeks later and pick up where we left off. Um, so those are, again, some of the tactics that can be used to, to try and get a case resolved. Well, we are running short on time, but we have to hear a case. We have to hear a story. you got to give us something real quick at the end of the show. All right. I will throw one out there really, really quick. Okay. So most mediations uh, at the end, you, you not only sign a settlement agreement, but you also sign a non-disclosure agreement where you can't talk about the case sure. itself or what happened or the outcome or whether or not even settled. Uh, so I can't, in most of my cases that have gone to mediation, really talk about it. Uh, I do remember one from many, many years ago uh, that did not have a, uh, a non-disclosure agreement. Uh, I'm not going to go into the, to all the facts because there are certain parts that I can't talk about. But the day of the mediation, this was a, a, a case where um, there was a death involved and there was a serious injury to a three-year-old child as well involved. So a death of one child and a, a serious injury to a, another child. Uh, we went to mediation and what, what the defense did not know is the same day that the mediation was purposely scheduled was the arraignment day for their star witness for a meth uh, possession and trafficking charge in another county. Did you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, I knew. Oh. <laughs> I knew because we had done, our, we'd oh, done the work. Gosh. We'd done the homework. So they were relying on a star witness. Right. That wasn't a, coming. Well, they weren't going to be there anyway because of the mediation, but that was their star witness and why they were denying, to some extent, liability. Oh, gosh. And they couldn't deny the damages. I mean, the damages were horrible. The medical bills, obviously death and the significant injury, uh, they couldn't deny that part. But what they tried to deny was their liability. And again, I'm not going to go into that detail, sure. but their star witness, the one person they were relying on and quoted many times in the mediation uh, as their star witness was appearing in another county that exact same day for an arraignment for a meth possession and trafficking charge. I'm so we had someone in the courtroom in that other county. And as soon as the plea was entered, I got a text. And I got also faxed over to me at the mediation headquarters where we were a copy of the arraignment, wow. which then I brought back into the room and gave to the mediator. And I said, oh, by the way, the star witness they referenced when we were all together just got arraigned and just entered a guilty plea. So if they want to rely on the testimony of this person who's just been basically charged and pled guilty to this offense, bring it on. Yes. And so what was a mediation that had a pretty bad stalemate in place and probably wasn't going to go any further, we purposely scheduled the mediation knowing full well, with the exception of the fact it could have been continued, that that, uh, that arraignment was going to happen that day. Gosh, and you're so such a it good was attorney. A, it was a wow. tactic that paid dividends yes, it did. in the long run. Good for you. Good for your clients. That's one more reason that if you're out there and it's not, we, we said in the intro, you represent parties in Georgia, but you are not limited to just Georgia. We've been saying that in uh, the shows in the weeks past that you actually represent cases all over the country. 
And I'm going to turn it over to you here at the end of the show. Please tell everyone listening, how can they find you? How can they ask questions if they have a, if they've been injured and they have a potential case that they need to speak to you about, but if they also have a question or a comment or a show topic for the podcast, you have a way for uh, your listeners to reach you. You take it from there, Derek. (laughs) We'll start with the website. The website is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M. Hayes, H-A-Y-S, DerekMHayes.com. If you go to the website, you'll see a chat feature that'll, uh, a chat box that'll pop up. You can communicate with me directly there. You can go to the podcast tab. You can submit a question, as she said, a, a show topic uh, request. I, I get a lot of questions. I get a lot of show topic requests through the podcast tab on the website. You can also go to the email uh, feature to email me directly. Uh, you can send me information about a potential claim. I will be the one to read your email. I'll be the one to call you. I'll be the one to chat with you. And if it's a case I can help you with, of course, I'll be the one to represent you. Um, so look at my website. You can learn a lot more about me and my firm there. You can also, as I said, chat with me or email me or a podcast uh, a request there. You could also go to the social media platforms, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Uh, that's uh, on Facebook, also Twitter and Instagram. Uh, find me that way, or you can call me. My uh, number is 404 777 Hurt or 678 225 0970 and also too, go ahead and put uh injury insider with Derek hayes is one of your favorite podcasts that's right so it automatically downloads give it a week. like give it a yeah. subscribe all that the five stars we we should say that more like give we, us yeah, you know yes and absolutely. status life with lita oh L-E-T-A. thank you yes put we've that got on your two favorites. shows out there and i will mention he really will be the one to call you Derek works way too hard and that's just a wifey gripe uh <laughs> well, but you yeah. will hear from him directly if you try to reach out to Derek. all right Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of these episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on Apple iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast podcast. Until next time for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.